On Pride Day, I got up early and walked to the parade route. It was a beautiful morning and still serene. There was no traffic on 4th Avenue because while the parade wasn't start for a couple hours, the traffic was closed off. People were out preparing their parade watching sites, and one of those was my beloved friend Carolyn. Carolyn is someone I have adored for many years. I first laid eyes on her in the mid to late 80s. I used to work in Pioneer Square, and in my free time I'd hover around a store called Ruby Montana's Pinto Pony. It embodied all that I loved at the time. It was uh, kitsch, humor, rarities, funky furniture, and a spam carving contest. Seattle in the 80s had this secondhand store feel. It was like if you mixed John Waters, Archie McPhee's Monk Magazine, and L.A. Bizarro. Any extra cash I had was spent on French onion soup at Raison d'Etre, where the art crowd reigned. My life has intersected Carolyn's in many ways I would have never imagined all those years ago, and she's come to represent a lifestyle I'm working hard right now at attaining. This interview gets interrupted briefly, so there's a little information jump in the middle, and it also ends abruptly since the angry Christians showed up with their bullhorns and poorly formatted graphics and pain-inducing fonts to yell and be visually uh, ugly, (laughs) orally and visually painful for everybody. So here's our conversation. Next stop, Capitol Hill Station. Can I get a uh, deluxe fries, a medium coke, and two ketchups, please? Deluxe fry, medium coke, two ketchups. Crossing Broadway. Block sign is on. Crossing Broadway. This reminds me of that Saturday Night Live skit. The with NPR the- women? Yes! <laughs> what do you mean you've never done anything like this before? You're a local celebrity. Oh, bullshit. You are. The spam carving contest. Oh, God. That's, you never that's had to like do any, any 20th press? century. That's 20th century yeah, stuff. You didn't do any press? Ever? Oh, yeah, we did some stuff, but no. That's like that's like ancient history. It's not ancient history. I mean, you are you have to you can't discount the part that you're this discount that you are part of the history of this town, this especially the gay community this because I've known who you you may not know who other people are, but people know who you are. And I know who you are, and I knew who you are when I was a teenager. Because <laughs> I had I love the biggest that story. crush on you, biggest crush on you, and I used to come into Ruby Montana's Pinto Pony that. that you owned, and I would act like I was like looking at cards, but I was really just looking at you. Let's see what old lesbians look like. You weren't old. Well, by your standards, I was. You were older than, yeah, you were older to me yes. at the time, yes. but I was no, like 18. I, w- I was a. Yeah young pup by the yeah you you know I was looking I was doing the math and this is my 42nd year of being out to myself I was gonna ask you how long how many pride parades 1974 I came out in Lexington Kentucky okay at the time at a time when um, the only places that we had to go were two gay bars and um, our apartments you know and we lived very very isolated lives Outside of those two places. Right. There were a lot of gay people, of course, of which there have always been. And I was just remembering that year that I came out. I mean, I had known I was gay my whole life, but growing up in Kentucky and in a, the family that I grew up in, there was no context for me to 
identify why I liked girls. Right. Yeah, you were, I mean, Kentucky, and you had kind of a... um was your family what prestigious or what was the oh god no no um but you know we kentucky in the 50s and 60s when i grew up was a very provincial kind of place in a lot of ways in that when i say provincial i mean people you know my parents were friends with people they went to grade school with oh okay and those children those people grew up had children and then their friends' children went to the same schools I went to. I had some of the same teachers my parents had, my mother had. I went to girls' school, and it was a very small place. And there were very rigid, in my mind, you know, I don't know, in my family, there was kind of one path for me as a girl growing up, and that was to, um, you know, go to college. That was the expectation, which I was very grateful that that was in place. You know, but really the real reason to go to college, the messaging was to find a man of a particular class that could provide so that I could be his helpmate and, you know, be a good hostess. Mm-hmm. You know, I really feel like my training is growing up as a, as a girl and as young was how to be a good hostess. Right. Which now, looking back on, I see as a great gift because... Yeah. I do know how to be a good hostess, well, and, and that is a great skill to have. I mean, look yeah. where we're sitting right now. I've got my tarp, my chairs, my flag. Sure. I've got the whole setup. You're hosting me. Yeah. I've got my own little living room right here on 4th Avenue. You sure do. And, uh, and when you had, you know, the store, when you had your store. Back in them you, days. You, yeah. Which was Ruby Montana's Pinto Pony, and I know a lot of people are going to remember that <laughs> because I had a wagon wheel couch that I had for years from, oh, God. from there. But you had you hosted many. I loved going in there because... You did feel like you were being hosted and taken it, care of. Yeah, it was a welcoming place, and I remember a lot of people that worked down in Pioneer Square in the courts and the 911 operators, all the people that were in those buildings um, living in cubicles. You know, it, it's interesting. Our store was a refuge and a respite right. from the daily grind of, of being a bureaucrat for some people. And... Uh, you know, we had a, the, quite the cross-section of humanity that came through there over the years. And, you know, it was really, it was like a little haven in so many ways. It was, it was because yeah. it was a little slice of, you know, it was camp and gay and fun. You know, like yeah. you could always find something humorous, a gift. And, and it just felt like there it was in Pioneer Square. And I used to go to the old shop, which was the, the little one on the Cherry. One. Yeah. And then you moved yeah. to the big shop. But both yeah. of those were an oasis in an otherwise yeah. Straitsville normalsville yeah yeah Yeah. god it's so interesting you know i feel like for me personally having you know having been out for so many years i mean even back then the minute i finally met some gay folks back in lexington kentucky that i could identify with it was that huge sense of relief that oh my god this is where i belong this is what's been this is why i felt so disconnected from the the world for so long is because, you know, because I'm gay. I don't know, I've always been very comfortable with my lesbian identity. Always? Well, I I can sincerely say from when I, you know, I mean, there were some times early in, when I first moved to Seattle in 78, I worked for a major corporation and was blessed with having my immediate supervisor being gay. I mean, I have just been, I have been so blessed through the years of 
being in situations where being gay was a non-issue. You know, I yeah. could, that was part of who I am and my core identification, but it was not made into a label that was keeping me from performing or participating in whatever way I wanted to in whatever organizations I've had. And of course, when Ruby and I had that business for lo those many years, I mean, we were very, you know, out in the community and known as, you know, everybody knew we were gay and, you know, it was just kind of a non, it was a non-issue. Right. And, and it, not only a non-issue, but a boom. Well, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I'm, you know, we felt, we had a lot of opinions around being supported in that business by the gay community, you know, and I, which is really not pertinent to this conversation. But yeah, it was a it was a good time while it was running. And, sure. Uh, you know, it's been a long time, Ruby. You know that we we closed that place down in 2000, and uh, it's 2016. I have a whole new life now. Yeah, you sure do. I have a whole new life yeah. now. Yeah. I mean, a whole new chapter. Obviously, my history will always be part of me, and I'm grateful for it. And my life is really different now in terms of what my focus is. One of my mentors says, you know, the quality of my life is determined by the focus of my attention. Okay. And my attention is in different realms than it was during sure. that Sure, I mean, fast era. forward to a few years ago, I'm sitting in an AA meeting called <laughs> Ladies of the Fourth Dimension. Okay. I love that name. I'm, I'm sitting in this place, you know, this very, in what is now Amazonville, and it was still kind yeah. of like not quite formed, but, um, yeah. and it was at night, and there was this, <laughs> and then you come in, you come in late, but you come in, and I'm like, that, I go, I know that's her. I know that's, but you went by a different name when that's I right. knew you at Ruby's. That's right. And so when you said your name, Carolyn, yeah. I was like, why is that not the name? Yeah. You know, and, yeah. Yeah. but I yeah. knew, I was like, I had hoped to run into you, you know, again, and so we ran into each other, and then you became my sponsor. That's right. Which was, right. which was, you know, it was so great to have you. I really felt like you reached down into, Aww. into like, in, no, you really kind of plucked me out of something. Aww. I can't tell. There are no words, you know, for for what that meant to me mm -hmm. to to be able to meet with you on a regular basis or come to your house and then discuss. You, you're helping me on my Bambi legs get, you know, stop. Looking to you know, alcohol is a tough one. It's a cunning tough, and baffling. Cunning and baffling, <laughs> and it, and I gotta say, it's been hard. Yeah. Even now, this gay pride, I at night I've been instead of going out, I just I'm going home, not doing the night events, but doing the day and morning. Yeah. Because night is so equated with alcohol for me, and yeah. like I'm watching people have fun, and I'm using air quotes, but. It looks fun, and I ran into Louise last night, you know, mm. and so I was talking to her about the community within the community of the people that mm -hmm. are not partying anymore, or partying in a, in a different That's way, right. you know what partying I mean? Partying in a different way. Right. And I, I think, you know, I know in San Francisco, the largest contingent in the Pride Parade is the clean and sober contingent. Really? Yes, it is. Oh my gosh. I mean, we're talking thousands of people. In the Vancouver Pride, they have their own separate events. They have a, a huge, huge nighttime event called right. Unintoxicated. Wow. Well, it you makes You know, where sense. people get together yeah. and, and, you know, without, you know, any mind-altering chemicals or without drinking and have fun. I know for this 
you know, recovering alcoholic. When I first stopped using, I thought, my God, I'm never, I'm never going to... Well, first of all, I was never a social drinker. I basically drank to get loaded uh-huh. or did dope or whatever I was doing I, uh-huh. to get that effect. And so I thought, my God, I was never really a social drinker. Like, you know, my girlfriend who can nurse a drink for over three or four hours. Sure. For me, drinking or any other mind-altering drug just activated a more switch in my brain. And more, I just wanted more. more. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I'm that same way with sugar. Sugar, yeah, I do this. You have the, yeah, I've I mean, heard you I, talk about that with I the chocolate. Chocolate, but it can be also be shopping. It could be anything that takes me out of present moment. Okay, so you know, if I'm feeling a little okay. itchy, scratchy, sure. hmm, what can I do? I'll say, I'll go shop for some shoes online. I'll get on Amazon and look for uh, blah, blah, blah. One of my things, I, I'll, go, I'll go shopping for real estate in a city I don't even want to live in because I'm so interested in these things. I mean, crazy stuff. Okay. Is that, you know, so that's the way you're drawn to Buddhism, because you're trying, my, trying to stay in the my moment. My number one affliction or challenge is conditioned mind. And that is that internal conversation that's, that's always trying to fix things, something's wrong, I've got I've to adjust somewhere to feel okay. You know, and I realize, you know, thanks to many outstanding teachers and, and practice, that you know, this is where life is happening, right here, right now. And you know, until I really stopped using, I didn't know how much anxiety I was managing on a daily basis, and how wine and pot really helped take the edge off. Mm-hmm. And so when I stopped using, and I was like, oh my God, I, I don't even know how to be in community. I don't even, I don't know how to go to a party. I don't know how to have a conversation. I don't know how to be with others, whether it's in a casual situation, intimate situation, without having a glass of wine or a toke on a pipe. It's hard. It's hard for me now. It, it can be hard for me too. I mean, I just, you know, you know, got moody the other night because I was out and everybody was drinking and and, yeah. and 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 have you know having what I perceived as fun that I can't have anymore. Right. Sometimes I get a little whiny about it. You know, like, oh, that's something I can't do anymore. And I can't do it anymore. Well, you know, it's so funny how conditioned man wants us to look at what's wrong all the time. You know, I, the, the voices and conversations in my head are always talking about scarcity. There's not enough. I don't get, I didn't get my fair share. I'm not going to get my fair share. Um, they are having fun. I'm not. Those comparisons. That is, those are all the bamboozlements of conditioned mind. And so by recognizing them for what they are, that that is not who I am, that is not Carolyn, that is not authentic, true nature, that is not authentic, true Amy. Who knows, who knows that to drink is, is choosing darkness and diminishment and contraction. Yeah, darkness for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. And so that is why, you know, it is so critical for people who have recognized this in themselves that they connect with each other. And because when we get together and we start talking to one another, we go, oh, my God, I, I have those same kind of thought patterns. And they generally lead me to self-destructive behaviors that then it's like a feedback loop. 
I do the behavior, and then I beat the shit out of myself the next day or that same day. Yeah. That leads me back into the behaviors, that leads me back into yeah. that self-loathing, that self-hatred, that self-recrimination. That, and look at me, there, I, I, there's obviously something really wrong with me. And that is, for this recovering human, at the core of, of spiritual practice is recognizing and embracing that there is nothing wrong with me, that right. I am a perfect incarnation of this being, and that the, that conversation what's, is what's wrong. And then, I, and then I need to practice on dropping that conversation and focusing on what is. And so when those conversations come up for me, one of my coaches said, try asking yourself, whose voice is that? You know, is that, and I, oh my God, that's my mother's voice. Or that's, I don't know, some, some, that's not my voice. And is that really true? You know, really challenging those voices. And, you know, is that true that I am alone and no one cares about me? Or I'm, I'm never going to have a relationship? Or I'm never blah, blah, blah. I mean, I don't know about you, but those, that conversation is always negative. Yes. Always. Yes. And a mentor told me, you know, anytime the conversation starts with you, you know, that's the voice of self-hatred. Really? Mm-hmm. And so I started noticing that. And I was like, uh-huh. Yeah, that's pretty accurate for this human. So anytime that you thing comes up, like, you can't blah, 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 or why did you blah, blah, blah? It's like, oh, uh-huh, self-hatred. Okay, so I'm, I can stop now. I can step back. I can reassess. And I can choose. You know, that, that's one of the amazing gifts of this growing opportunity that, that I have received once I stopped using, once I stopped drinking, really. Now, when an event like Pride comes yeah. up, you know, Pride. is it all positive for you now? Do you feel? No. No? What, it's, yeah. like, it's, it's like any... I mean, I guess for me, pride is so mixed with so many things. It is, isn't it? Yeah. Um, you know, as a you know, almost 63-year-old woman, you know, it's like the, when the Supreme Court gave us the right to be married, I, I was filled with so many emotions in that as a young woman, that was never an opportunity for me, and I, I was pissed, I was thrilled, I was, I mean, just, I was all over the map, very unexpectedly. When I come to Pride, um, again, I see young people who can be out. I see young gay people, young trans people with their parents. Right. And I am so overjoyed with them, for them. Right. And for all of us. Yeah. That those of us that came out in the dark and in bars and in our apartments, you know, that, that these kids have the freedom to be themselves at a very young age. You know, then yeah. I also see people falling down drunk. I know that, that alcoholism and drug addiction is huge in our community. That, that's the thing is, is and that breaks my alcohol, heart. alcohol is woven in the fabric of the Look gay community. Look who sponsors yeah. prides all over the U.S. Absolute. That's right. Mm -hmm. The booze companies. And uh, so, you know, making a stand. I mean, some of us that are in the, in the clean and sober community, we're talking about you know trying to do something. We we really didn't get it together this year, and it takes a long time to put anything together. 
but I'm still very committed to making a statement in the community that there is a clean and sober gay community right. and yeah. to be out about it. And, you know, sometimes being, you know, it's funny within the gay community, it can almost be revolutionary to not participate in bar culture. Yeah. It's, yeah, or go to the bar with your friends and then you're the, you know, the sober one. And it's, it's yeah. a different, it's a very different, it's a different uh, thing. point of view. For, yeah, and you really, you can't, I can't at least really feel completely connected in that anymore, you know? No. No. Yeah. No. It's, well, once you, once you stop using and you're around people that are pounding them, you know, after about their third or fourth round, you know, they start repeating themselves. So, I mean, it starts, it, I'm, it's just not fun. You yeah. know, I, I'm, I mean, at, at this stage of my life, I mean, I have less coming on the road ahead than I do in the rearview mirror. I choose to spend time with people who are value an awakened life. Those are the people that I want to spend time around. Do I go to bars every once in a while for like a big, like when they have the women's dances and stuff, we like sure. to go and do that because yeah. we like to dance. But do I go and hang at bars? No. Yeah. I don't share those values. I want to spend time with people who are interested in having meaningful connections that are based in present life. That's, you know? that's why we're both here in the morning. That's we're here right. Very, very early. That's right. Pre-parade that's on the route. <laughs> but when was your first pride? When was the first my time My first pride, I think it was my first year I moved here, which was in 1978. Okay. And I, as I recall, I swear to God, there was something down there at Freeway Park. Freeway Park? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it was before anything had... Yeah, it I, wasn't Broadway, and I don't. Uh, yeah, you know, it's really bizarre. hard to remember. Sure. God, it's terrible to say that, but um, my free, there was something at Freeway Park, some kind of something or another, and then Broadway, and you know, things were very small. Very, yeah. In Volunteer Park, you know, the th- yeah. things happened that ended at Volunteer Park for many, many years. And then, of course, we outgrew Volunteer Park, and I am just was so thrilled when they moved it downtown because it should be in the center of the city. Do, do you feel like it was more um, shady back then, or what do you feel like it was? What, how did it feel? Let's see. How did it feel? It felt very revolutionary in a lot of ways to be out mm-hmm. in the 70s. Yeah. Um, and I... You know, but it felt very natural in that I had always felt on the fringes in my family, in my growing up years. I always felt like there was something different about me anyway. And so when I connected with gay culture, it was like, okay, these are my people. Right. These are my people. And, you know, fuck you to those who say you can't live this way. You know, I was always, you know, cons- and you were always kind of, you know, like revolutionary or you, you, well, you were, you know, my, my gay identity is really grounded in my feminism. And, right. you know, having been in college at a time when the first women's studies classes started. Sure. And having identified, I mean, I was with a man back then. Right. A, a lovely man, let me say that, who I'm still friends with and who, you know, it was truly a beautiful, evolved male human. But when I started taking women's studies classes, and it's like the 
the fog started clearing about my identity as a woman, as a woman in a misogynist world, and the amount of hatred against women, and I started feeling even more aligned with women, and being with men almost felt like fraternizing with the enemy. Okay, yeah, it was and, more of the separatist times. Oh yeah, yeah, and and then I, all of a sudden I started meeting women. I don't know. I just started meeting lesbians. So that was probably like in the 72, 73 era. Mm-hmm. And by the time started being physically engaged with women, you know, in 74, had been pretty radicalized as a feminist. Right. And of course, it was also at a time, you know, there was, what can I say? It was, there was a lot of separatism going on and uh-huh. a lot of, we were all pretty you know, young. Yeah. You're in your 20s. I mean, I, I should hope that the, the vigor and passion, connecting with um, true, you know, this is who I am and these are my people and I want to be a champion for women. Right. But just to put a cap on it, I have so many anxieties about Pride, personally, mm-hmm. because I've had very bad things happen at Pride. And really? In my, yeah, I mean, like, getting, you know, getting too drunk and something. Oh, yes. You oh, know, yes. There's been... <laughs> Related very, to using... I mean, my, my first Pride Parade was 1985 in London. Wow. And, and Divine was there. Oh. Yeah, so, and yeah. it was big, you know. Yeah, and it was, um, sure. I mean, this is a lot of prides. I mean, yeah, I'm, that's huge. I'm not as old as you are, but it's no, a lot no, of no, prides. No, 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 that's a lot of prides. And I mean, wow, yeah. So, yeah. I guess I just. Oh my God, and, how and cool. And it's been through AIDS. That's right. It yeah. was very somber. Oh very my God. many different things have, have happened. And different ways I've felt about myself and different incarnations of myself. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. different, like, feeling distant or feeling, you know, relationships that didn't work out or people that you had crushes on that you never could have or, I don't know, just all that crap. So I'm yeah, trying I, to be okay with it. Yeah, and just, you know, I think about pride pre-HIV AIDS and post-HIV AIDS. And, you know, in the midst of the crisis, you know, when it was called the gay cancer, sure. and, you know, all this stuff. But, you know, I guess for me, at this stage of my evolution in this life, anytime I get outside of here, mm-hmm. I'm in a dangerous territory. When you lose your When I your get presence. back into the back, back history and start digging around. Right. There's a, that there is a direct line between doing that and suffering. So what's that saying that you have about looking back and looking forward? It, that's helpful to me. Well, the, one of the things I heard in a meeting one time that I thought it just said it very well, not very eloquently, but right. it kind of says it. You know, when I've got one foot in the past and one foot in the future, I'm pissing on the present. That's that's great. You know, and and I, I get somber and weird oh. when I look back. And so as yeah. much as I want to celebrate the history, in a way, yes. I'm, I'm like, I can't think about a lot of stuff. Well, you know, you know I, framing it maybe for myself in terms of every single one of those events and every single one of those experiences, the joys, the heartaches, the suffering, has put together where I am today. And when I look at where I am today, I look around and go, wow, I live in a beautiful city. I have a healthy body. I have uh, friends. I'm clean and sober. I'm connected with family. You know, life is pretty damn good. It is. Yeah. 
You know, and then when I get out there in the future and start worrying about, God, am I going to have enough money to retire? What about what? I get back right back into the putting the hair shirt back on. Right. And you know, I'm so done with the hair shirt lifestyle. I am done. Yeah. I'm drawing the line here. I'm saying no more suffering. Now, do I suffer? Do I allow? Do I get bamboozled? Are these the haters? I don't know. Are these the Westboro people? I think these are the haters. 